Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 29 and we're recording on June 29th. That's nice. Um, I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And today we are answering a request for reading categories for a sci-fi bingo card that came in from one of our listeners. Um, Before we get too dug into it, I just want to let y'all know that I went to a very loud and noisy book party on Tuesday, and now my voice is like going in and out. So if I get real croaky, that's why. Apologies in advance. It's because you have a pod person in you. That's that. That's their language. It's just the croak. That's yeah, why. or I got cursed by a fairy. Yes, which godmother person, and I'm actually turning into a frog on the inside. That's so much better. Who that's can so say better. what will happen? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, before we get into everything, I'm going to tell you about a very exciting giveaway we've got. Um, It's going to be going on already by the time you listen to us, so you can literally um, try and enter. So it's the best YA of the year so far giveaway, and we are basically giving a winner $500 of 2018's best hand-picked books, Um, and these books are actually picked by... Kelly Jensen, who's an associate editor at Book Riot, and she is a former YA librarian, so you know these are going to be great. And I looked through the list of books myself, and they are absolutely excellent. I was so excited, as I as I always get with these giveaways we put out. I always want to win them, even though I can't. But <laughs> same, <laughs> same. Yeah, yeah. It's so sad, but I do use them as a reference anyway. So some of the some of the uh, prize titles include Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. Um, we've got My So-Called Bollywood Life by Nisha Sharma. One of my favorites um, that I've read so far this year, Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. That was so, so fun. Uh, the Cruel Prince by Holly Black. There are a lot of really excellent titles in there, if you couldn't tell already. Um, and so the... The prize or the giveaway is going on right now, and it ends July 31st. So you can go ahead, go to bookwrite.com slash 500YA giveaway to enter. You can do that right now. Don't put it off. Don't forget about it because these books are excellent, um, and it ends July 31st. So just make sure you enter by then. And that's it. I hope that you guys, I hope somebody out there wins. Good luck to everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I am going to pick the first story, and I'm going to choose something that I didn't get to talk about last time that I really wanted to, but we ran out of time. And that is Ron Howard exploring Willow with Oh <laughs> my goodness, this was on the top of my list too. I have so many Willow feelings. Okay, yes. good. but you go first. You go okay. first. 
I'm glad I'm not alone because I am a huge Willow fan. I have the DVD, which somebody borrowed and never gave back. I literally just, after you put this story on our on our doc, I went to my shelf of, of very few DVDs and opened mine and it was missing. No. And I was so upset. <laughs> okay, but before I get into my personal feelings about Willow, so what's happening is that Ron Howard tweeted recently that he's seriously exploring the possibility of giving us more of the world of Willow with Lucasfilm. So I guess this has been kind of a rumor, like very surface rumor, maybe wasn't even something that was being considered for a while. And then there was this tweet. So he recently did, you know, Solo, A Star Wars Story, but he is also thinking about doing this. And at first I thought he was thinking about doing a remake of Willow, but that's not the case. Um, this sounds more like he's planning to expand the world of Willow with another movie set in that world. Um, and of course, because this is just, you know, him saying he's exploring the possibility and He's strongly exploring the possibility. So this sounds like something that is very much in the works. Um, we don't have any real details about what it's going to actually look like or um, who's going to be cast. But I'm really hoping that Warwick Davies or Davis does get cast in this because he was the absolute best in Willow. I loved his character so much. And I just love this movie so much, and I'm glad that it's not a remake. I'm glad that it would be something that was expanding the world because I don't think – I don't know if I could handle a remake of My Beloved Willow. So what do you think, Jen? I 100% agree. When I first saw it, I was like, no, don't remake it. Please yeah. don't. Um, or like – or I just will never watch your remake because that that movie was like internally perfect as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, to, to the idea that they're going to explore more of the world makes me really happy. I – we watched that movie so many times when I was a mm -hmm. kid. Like somehow it was always on on the weekend, you know, on like yes. Channel 11, which was just like showing random movies in the middle of the day like this was on so many times and I remember my brothers and I chasing each other around the house going willow <laughs> like it was just such a touch point of my geeky childhood um and like you know mad mardigan yes. and oh, just like the whole everything everything um and i it does seem like it would be a prime for a sequel right with Alora grown up and like what's the new threat yes. and you know yeah like does you know does willow have children like what's the what tell me the story um i want to know what happens next kind of thing uh so yeah i i could not support this more strongly to be quite frank. Um, also, I did not, like, I didn't know who made anything when I was a kid, quite honestly. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't know. So when I saw that he was originally involved, I had no idea. I was like, wait, that was Ron <laughs> Howard? I didn't know that. <laughs> Me too. So it's very interesting. I It was like a both, you know, a sort of nice like, oh, I didn't, an update of my knowledge and also, yeah, a hopeful thing that I I, I support. I support it. I, I, I definitely would love to see something more from that 
universe for sure now that we're talking about it like i feel like i want to immediately go look up if there is some sort of deluxe edition of willow that has like the cast and (gasps) you know ron howard talking you know how they do sometimes where they talk through the movie like i want that so badly if it's not out there i hope that at least this news brings us something like that where all of the cast comes back together and talks about their experiences because i didn't know about ron howard either um, I was this, in the same camp. I paid absolutely no attention to that. And by the time I was paying attention to it, I was not specifically thinking about Willow <laughs> and who directed it right, every day. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I would love to hear about, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm just so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll cross our fingers if something actually happens. Yeah. I mean, you never know with these things, but. Yeah, that's true. We're trying not to get everybody's hopes up, but. I kind of failed on my Oh, no. My hopes are up. My hopes are up. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Um, Something on the sadder side. Um, Harlan Ellison, who is a very acclaimed, award-winning sci-fi writer, um, died, uh, well, this week as of the time of this recording. So it will be last week by the time this airs. And it's interesting to me to have kind of watched the commentary because he's a very controversial figure um he did good things like um he marched at selma with martin luther king jr he was uh one of the people who helped octavia butler get her start which is a thing i didn't know until recently he apparently also was a mentor to our beloved tanana reeve do so like very involved but he also did some really gross things, um, like including groping Connie Willis on stage at the Hugo Awards. So yeah, complicated and controversial figure. And I don't know that I've actually ever read him. And I was asking around and a lot of people were like, oh, I know of him, but I hadn't read him. And I was curious if you have any attachment to his work or know much about him. I don't. I'm actually in exactly the same camp. Like I knew of Harlan Ellison. I feel like he's just one of those names you can't avoid, Mm -hmm. um, you know, for better or for worse. But I had never read his actual work. And I was also very new to all of the mentorship he'd done in his lifetime. So it was very interesting. Like, I feel like maybe I should... I don't know. This is the same thing. This These are the same feelings I have with a lot of like cl- classic science fiction. And I guess he wouldn't have liked to be called a science fiction writer, which is another thing I learned. He, was, he preferred speculative fiction. But oh, this well. Is, I know. I know. And I saw that. I was like, okay. Well, a lot of these things he's writing for and he won a lot of awards for science fiction. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I feel the same way about a lot of like classic science fiction um, where I I feel like maybe I should go back and read them. And especially in times like these where somebody's passed away and then you hear afterwards that they had this huge influence on a genre that you're really into. Like I feel a sort of obligation to pick up something by them. But I don't know. Like I can't – I have no clue what his work was like. So I don't even know if it would be something in my wheelhouse. But I am curious now for sure – but I don't know what to make of him because I'm hearing a lot of other bad stuff too. So Yeah, yeah. Well, if you are a listener and you have opinions on what might be worth picking up of his, I would be happy to hear them. Um, you can email them to us at sffyeah at 
bookriot.com. Um, cause yeah, I, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's not a surprise that, uh, an, an older figure would be controversial perhaps. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, there's lots of reasons why that could be. And, uh, and it's, it's, yeah. I, anyway, I struggle with knowing how much weight to give that work, but the mentorship is very compelling and yes. so who knows, who knows? I don't know. Uh, anyway, those are, those are my tang, <laughs> those are my very tangled thoughts about Harlan Ellison. And if you've read a lot of his work out there um, and you think that there might be like a, an entry point, like a story or a book, please do let us know as well. Because I would be curious in reading, for instance, a short story. Just Yeah, he wrote a lot of them too. Yeah, so. and won a ton of awards for mm-hmm. a ton of things. So <laughs> there you go, Harlan Ellison. Um, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about awards. Because this just recently came out. So the 2018 Locus Awards winners were chosen um, at the ceremony that just happened. I believe it was uh, Locus Awards weekend was June 22nd through the 24th. Um, And I know we had touched on this like when they chose the finalists um, in our previous podcast. And now they chose the winners. So I'm just going to go ahead and and read the winners of the categories so that everybody knows. So um, their science fiction novel, the winner was The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi. Uh, In fantasy novel, the winner was The Stone Sky by N.K. Jemisin. Yay! Yay! Uh, horror novel, another yay, The Changeling by Victor Laval. I feel mm. like we might have predicted some of these. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the young adult book winner was Akata Warrior by Nnedi Okorafor. And first novel, The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss. Novella was All Systems Read by Martha Wells. Novelette, which I still sort of somewhat don't understand the hermit of houston by samuel r delaney and short story the martian obelisk by linda nagata anthology the book of swords by gardner desois i don't know if i'm saying that right how many more do i have here uh a collection the winner ursula Le Guin, the hainish novels and other stories by ursula Le Guin, posthumous award and there's a bunch of others for magazine, publisher, editor, all that stuff. But those are the ones I'm kind of focusing on. Um, I was I was actually overall very happy with the winners and sort of unsurprised. I feel like we've seen a lot of these authors and a lot of these titles win some awards previously, especially with the series. You know, N.K. Jemisin is the standout for winning all of the awards lately. Um, and Victor Lavelle as well has won a lot of awards recently. So I can't say I was surprised. I was very happy to see these winners get their their awards, though. What do you think? Yeah, same. I was not particularly surprised by any of these, although I haven't read um, the novelette short story or anthology in question, and I had read some of the other anthologies. So I'm not going to lie. I was a little bummed because The Gin Falls in Love and Other Stories was a contender for anthology, and I love it so much. Um, I wanted to just point out that Tor had a really good year. They not only won for publisher, but they also won for Tor.com for magazine. 
And then several of their authors won. The short story was published by Tor.com. The novella was published by Tor.com. What else? I think that... Oh, and the winner for science fiction novel was published by Tor. So... Tor had a very, very, very good year is what I'm saying there. Um, But yeah, I I agree. Not a lot of surprises. Um, I do now feel like I need to read that anthology because I do love a good anthology and I'm curious about it. So I know I am too. I haven't read that either. And on about like Tor has been, they're doing a lot more novellas now too. Like that seems Mm -hmm. to be like a really... A really big category that people are focusing on. I've seen a lot more novellas either come out recently or, I don't know, there seems to be more attention paid to novellas. And I know they just opened novella submissions or they're doing it actually July 30th. Um, So it's, it's really interesting. I think Tor is doing some really interesting work and they're definitely expanding what we're getting out of science fiction and fantasy, so I'm yeah, excited to see them succeed. They're not the only people doing them, certainly. Yeah. But I think I I've been thinking about this, and the combination of them being a book publisher, I think, makes a difference because when you look at who else is publishing novellas, it's often and and short stories for that matter. You know, it's often. Um, these smaller literary magazines, and they just don't have the circulation, right? But Tor.com has, I would I would guess, at the very least, probably not a huge marketing budget, but more than, for example, Lightspeed is going to have. Yeah. Um, and they are putting out those novellas in print and getting them into, you know, the ebook ecosystem. So once they are published, you can then buy them separately. And that's not always the case with novellas. So I think that they, the actual publication process is what's changing the game there, at least for me, because now they're accessible to me in a way that they just weren't previously. And I have, you know, issues of light speed and uncanny on my e-reader, but I just don't get to them as as easily and as often as I would like. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, I can borrow Sarah Gailey from from the library on my, you know, Libby account, like that makes a huge difference to me. Um, and the fact that I can own, you know, a taste of honey uh, in print, it makes a huge difference for me. So I, I kind of feel like that model, if you can manage it, which I don't know how many other people can, um, is, is what's making a big difference for, for those novellas. Yeah, I agree. Um, that makes a lot of sense now. And I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I wish I could read more of the smaller magazines and the smaller, works but I just I used to do it a lot when I didn't uh work in books (laughs) and now I'm just like books 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 it has to be like you know the hardbound copy or Mm. something like that like I just I'm the same way um but maybe once in a while like I really enjoyed when we were reading the short stories maybe I'll just keep trying to do that make time for it I don't Mm. know but yeah, so that was those were your 2018 Locus Awards winners. Congratulations to everybody. Indeed. Um, let's see, we have time for one more, right? Um, yeah. What do I want to talk about? There, we've got some stuff that's older that I think is interesting, um, and some newer stuff. I I want to talk about 
which of these things? Gosh, I had <laughs> no, it, like hard. I had it in my head what I wanted to talk about, but now I'm changing my mind. I no, I do want to talk about this. So the discovery of witches trailer yes. has come out, um, and we're gonna link to it, and you can watch it, and it's it looks very good. Um, I've read the book. I read the first book. I haven't read the whole trilogy. I enjoyed it a lot. What I think is actually more interesting is that there is no U.S. distributor for this TV series yet, which I don't understand because these books have an enormous audience. I mean, there is literally a con just for these books happening in Philly in, like, the next month. Oh, wow. Like, or this summer at some point. Um, So, you know, it, it boggles my mind that they have not been picked up yet. And I start to I started to speculate when I was here. I was like, is there a bidding war? Like what? Because it can't be that nobody wants it, right? Like it can't be that yeah. nobody is willing to take a chance on it. It's got a good cast. Like the the trailer looks very compelling. The story is clearly of interest to fans. Like what? is happening here um do they just does the you know the producing company want too much money like what is what is going on i would love to know how this has happened because the uk it's on sky one which i don't know what that means but i assume it's like (laughs) you know a thing um why why is this not picked up yet in the u.s i don't get it i mean the only thing i can think of um and I perhaps made this assumption about Sky One. It sounds like it's almost the equivalent of – like it sounds like it's not going – I don't want to make assumptions. I'm wondering if it's like streaming is trying to – is having a bidding war. But I feel like we hear about these bidding wars right. that happen when they do. Like if Netflix and Hulu are all trying to get this this film adaptation mm-hmm. like – is that maybe, is it just happening behind the scenes or, you know, under the radar and we don't know what's going on? Or is there some sort of contractual thing that's happening that's making it difficult? Or, you mm. know, the people who are producing it are are kind of being, you know, are challenging what is being offered. Is that what's happening? But what's weird is that, you know, there is no news. Like, it, it just seems to dead end at there is no platform for it in the U.S. There, It hasn't been bought in the U.S. So it just seems to, like, I would expect that there is at least some hint of what's going on in terms of, like, bringing it to the U.S. But yeah, I think this happened um, – there's this other book that I know nothing about, but I know that when the the Guernsey Potato Peel Society oh, or yes. something like that, that was originally – that almost had a similar news break of a story where it was coming out in all of these other different places. Um, like I think it was like in the Euro, in Europe and in Australia, but there was no talk about bringing it to the U.S. And then like out of the blue, it came up that, yes, it was coming to Netflix or one of the streaming services. And I hadn't heard about the developments leading up to that, that news about it coming to the U.S. until it actually came out. So I'm wondering if that's just a thing that happens now, if they just don't discuss it. And we don't get any news. And then suddenly it's going to pop up like, oh, yeah, well, now it's available to watch on Netflix or on Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever. Mm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm curious about whether that's going to happen. I feel like I would be shocked if this just, you know, went on untouched by the U.S. and we just never got it. Like, Yeah, there's no way. There's no, no way. No. 
I mean, yeah, that would just, it would be like, they would be leaving money on the table. And usually television is pretty good about not doing that. So, but who knows, maybe by the time this episode airs, you know, there will be news. We'll keep it, we'll add it to the show notes if there is. Um, Yes. But I just say, yeah, my mind is a little boggled. I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) Me neither. We're all in the dark. I don't think anybody's making sense of this one. (laughs) All right. So let's see. It is time to move along to our second sponsor, and that is Book Riot Insiders. Hooray! Um, Where you can level up your reading life with a 14-day free trial. If you join at the novel level, either monthly or yearly, you automatically get 14 days free to test it out, you know, kick the tires, decide if it's something you want to invest in. Um, It is a recurring subscription, so once you're signed up, you're good to go if you decide not to cancel, which is awesome. And the things that you will get to do are wishlist the upcoming releases that you're dying to read from the new release index. You can get exclusive podcasts and newsletters. There is a monthly swag drawing. And if you're eyeballing that epic level, which is currently closed and includes the Insiders Forum, novel subscribers get first crack at the open spots when they come up, which usually happens at the beginning of each month. So there's a lot of good stuff. Um, it is kind of utopian for book nerds if I do say so myself I work on it a lot Um, and you are invited so you should come check it out free trial what can go wrong it's bookriot.com slash insiders and again the novel level whether you sign up for monthly or yearly you get a two-week trial free so go ahead and check that out All right. So we got an email a while back. Um, It's been sitting there for a minute from Karen, who says, over the past three years, my friends and I have spent the month of July reading and talking about science fiction books. We call it Sci-Fi July. For the last two years, I've made a bingo card with 24 categories to help guide our reading a bit throughout the month, totally inspired by the Read Harder Challenge. I'm copy pasting our big list of past categories and some of ideas for 2018 at the end of this email, but I'd love to get some suggestions from you two for new sci-fi categories to help us stretch our reading this summer. So it is going to be July by the time this airs, but we figured it's the beginning of the month, so there's still time for you to uh, mess around with some more categories and books. So we each picked two new categories and a book in that category for you. So Sharifa, what did you pick first? So they they had quite the list. It was actually pretty challenging to come up with things that weren't weren't already on there. Mm -hmm. Um, So my first pick is to say yes to two categories you, Karen, were on the fence about. Um, YA science fiction and video game science fiction. Because I have a book that can fit into both of those categories if you just want to, you know, squeeze them into one or whatever. Uh, And that's Warcross by Marie Lu. It fits both categories and it also happens to be a really thrilling, fast-paced book that is, in my opinion, perfect for summer reading. Um, So what it is is the story takes place in a future that isn't totally unrecognizable, but this future has some advanced technology that I I hope that we see in the future in my lifetime. Uh, so it's honestly not hard to imagine a future like War Crosses in our lifetime. And that might be my science fiction and fantasy brain speaking. But the main character is 18 years old. 
And I'd actually put this book on the far end of the YA spectrum, closer to new adults. So if you're if you're uncertain about like going way back into middle grade or earlier in young adult or reading about um, really younger teens, uh, the main character is 18. She acts very grown up, uh, which is why I say closer to new adult. But Emika Chan, uh, Emika Chen is sort of a down on her luck bounty hunter and a part-time waitress. She lives in this tiny apartment with a roommate and she can never seem to make rent on time. I feel like this part of her life will remind a lot of people of their early 20s or like just getting out of college or school. Um, She she has a, a mark on her record as well that makes finding work she can excel at difficult. And her one escape, or rather many people's escape, is this video game, Warcross. And the big technological development in this future is the Neuralink. And the Neuralink is this technology that makes the virtual world seem like reality. So I guess what I'm saying here is that they have virtual reality. That is the easy way of saying this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's the sort of virtual reality you get in some cyberpunk books where the virtual world is hyper-realistic, so you don't really think about this as, like, what you see in a video game. It looks like you are actually in the real world, except there are some fantastical elements you're dealing with. So thanks to the Neuralink, this world has this game called Warcross, which is set in one of these really realistic, gorgeous, and also fantastic virtual worlds. And then there's this big tournament where teams battle it out um, every year. And this is all set up. Like, you learn about all of this in the first few pages. And the actual story unfolds around Emika, who loves World... Oh, I was about to say World of Warcraft, because that's what that (laughs) reminds you. (laughs) Warcross. But she can't play competitively for numerous reasons. And Neuralink and Warcross's young inventor is also caught up in this story. Uh, His name is Hideo Tanaka. And Tanaka is this iconic, super handsome billionaire. And Emika is, of course, not alone in her idolization of him. Uh, And they're brought together when Emika, in a moment of desperation, makes one super risky, like I was screaming at her, don't do it, but I knew that the story was going to get better once she did, a potentially ruinous decision at the very start of the Warcross Championship Games. And as a result of this decision, her life gets completely turned around. In some ways, she gains more security than she's ever had because her life was totally on the fritz. And in others, she's in even hotter water than she's been in in her tumultuous and really messy life. But now she's using her coding skills and her bounty honey her bounty hunting talents with within the world of Warcross, which is it's super fascinating. Um, and it it did definitely appeal to the gamer in me um, and the world of Warcraft ex addict because I could hear the music like the sweeping music of the game and see it all playing out and. I don't know. So maybe this is like a personal favorite of mine, but definitely spoke to me. And I think gamers will definitely get a kick out of some of the references to familiar memes and scenarios in the book that, you know, are from real life um, or rather video game life, which is another realm altogether. Uh, But I really got a kick out of it. And Marie Lu actually worked in the gaming industry, which I didn't uh, realize until I started reading this book and looked her up because I was like, how does she know all these things? Uh, so she definitely <laughs> knows. 
<laughs> and she was she was an art director at a video game company. I, I couldn't figure out which video game company it was. So she definitely speaks from a place of expertise. And also, I just really love Emika um, and her rainbow hair. She's just such a great character. I was talking about YT from Snow Crash last time. And Emika is kind of like a more grown-up YT, which is probably why I instantly clicked with this character. Uh, and it's just so action-packed. It's fun, but it also gives you some feels. I really, really want to see a solid movie adaptation, which isn't something I always say. Um, but I think that if they did it right, it would be supremely fun. And this is also the first book in a series, I should note. The second book is out September this year, last I checked. Um, I think it's a duology, but I could be wrong. Um, so again, that was Warcross by Marie Lu for a YA or video game or both category. I could not co-sign that more. And I Yay! never, I haven't played, I mean, I I play some games, but I've never played, I, I don't do the, you know, MMORPGs, like that's not Good. my wheelhouse, but it doesn't matter because I loved this book so much anyway. And, you know, I was telling somebody that, it's kind of like the less nostalgic, more inclusive Ready Player One. Ooh. Like it, it's it's got female characters. It's got a lot of people from different ethnicities and backgrounds. It's got disabled characters. Like it's just and it it's 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 more near future and less obsessed with you know the specifically eighties pop culture than Ready Player One is. But otherwise, you know, it does have that like video game focus to it. And I I just loved it. I loved it. Yeah, that um, is so right on. I. I totally agree with that that description yeah, so good i can't wait for the sequel <laughs> the twist at the end of that first book was i was screaming i, I was like oh my god <laughs> it was very intense all right let's see so my first pick for a new category for your bingo card is science fantasy which is the thing i've only really started realizing I mean, it was a thing I always loved, but now I have a word for it, which seems super mm -hmm. obvious, <laughs> but it did not occur to me until somebody said this year, oh, that's science fantasy. And I was like, <gasps> light bulb, <laughs> like that's what it is. Um, so as you might have guessed, that is a book that combines science fiction and fantasy into one. And my pick for you is All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders, which is so good. Um, and it was the first book that really got me looking in my adult life for books that did this, that mashed up future tech with magic. And so the way it does this is that it follows two kids from their early childhood and then jumps forward into their adulthood. And when they're kids, they are both loners and outsiders. Um, their names are Patricia and Lawrence. And Patricia is very sure that she can do magic and, like, talk to birds. And Lawrence is this tech genius who's basically building, like, a sentient AI in his closet um, at a very young age. Like, that's not normal. So uh, so they end up banding together just sort of in terms of they're, the, they're two outsiders and they have no one else to click with. And they have each other's backs until this thing happens and then they don't see each other again until they are adults um, decades later. And so in, in the meantime, they both have sort of grown into their skills and have very different lives. But the world is sort of falling apart. Um, it takes place in a future where a lot of things, you know, politically and environmentally have gone wrong. And they're both trying to save the world in different ways. And then everything sort of 
collides. And I don't want to say any more than that because I don't want to give any of it away. But it is just so, I just loved it so much. I thought the characters were really interesting. The plot is kind of bonkers. Like there's also an assassin who's like obsessed with ice cream. And it's, (laughs) there's, you know, annoying teachers and there's family issues and there's, you know, love and like Tinder-esque stuff. And how do you deal with technology that's ubiquitous and also magic? Like it's really interesting. And I think the thing that Charlie Jane did that I haven't seen a ton of people do is that by the end of the book, she's kind of twined the magic and tech around each other in a really interesting way. So this book is doing a lot and is a very page turnery kind of story. So I think it it just is, is very compelling. I think a lot of people will be into it. Um, it claims to be the first in a series. I have not seen any announcements about future books in the series, and it does stand alone very well. So do not be thrown by that. Um, I, I think it, it it totally works as a standalone. So again, that is All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. That is going to be my forever recommendation whenever somebody asks what is science fantasy because yeah. you basically have the two genres represented by two the, the two main protagonists. Yeah. Like you've got the science person and you've got the... I don't know. It's just so perfect for that. Category. It is. And it was hard to pick one for this, you know, because we've had really good science fantasy yes. come out in the past year, like Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayton yep. is another really good example. Um, but I, we've, uh, most of the other books that I wanted to pick, we've talked about recently. So I know <laughs> I, I restrained myself. I had that problem too. And actually my next pick I recommended before, and I'm just doing it again anyway, because it's, a, it's one that I was so happy not to see on the list because I was like, I came up with something. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So my final pick that was not on your list is science fiction mystery. And I do like this, like, especially when it's a cozy sort of science fiction read. And this one was for me, even though it was totally bonkers. Um, And this is specifically detective science fiction. And for that, I picked an old favorite, which is Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by none other than Douglas Adams. Um, So Douglas Adams, as you might know, is the author of the popular Hitchhiker's Guide books. And Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency is a really short, quick read. So I think you can fit other reading into the month, like probably a lot of other reading into the month, um, if you're a faster reader than me. And it's also... Just really funny, quirky, and totally absurd, as you might expect from a Douglas Adams book. It's it's absolutely his style. So this is a whodunit featuring a sort of esoteric private investigator named Dirk Gently, who's on the case. He's trying to figure out who killed Richard McDuff's boss. And I tried to describe this book before, the last time I recommended this, And that's when I realized it's actually very hard to describe (laughs) (laughs) because the story, there's so much going on in the story. It just has numerous threads. There's there's the death of Macduff's boss, Gordon Way. There's Gordon's ghost trying to make contact with the living. There's an electric monk who's found its way to Earth and starts wreaking havoc. Um, There's Macduff trying to prove his innocence alongside Dirk Gently. And then there's this inexplicable magic trick at a dinner party that I believe um, 
Douglas Adams himself couldn't answer when he was like pressed to come up with an answer for how this happened. Um, and then there's a conundrum involving Coleridge and the penning of his poem Kubla Khan. There's time travel and an alien invasion. There's just there's so much. There's a horse in the bathroom. There's a there's horse. A, in the- <laughs> there's a sofa that's gotten stuck. I love this book too. <laughs> It's so funny. And it just came from all sorts of places. Like, you hear about the influences. Like, the couch mm-hmm. thing was because of, like, something Douglas Adams himself experienced in, like, a dorm when he was in college. Like, I, I just feel like he hoards all sorts of weird things that happened to him in his life or that he came across in his life. And he just, like, throws it into a book and, like, tries to make sense of it later. <laughs> um, and I realize that the book sounds like a haphazard mess that might be intimidating to get into. But it's not. I swear it's not. It's just a delightful, twisty, turny, hilarious, somewhat mess. Um, And everyone in this book is ridiculous. I think I said this when I talked about Dirk Gently before, but this is definitely the kind of story where you just need to go in with an open mind and let the story take you where it may rather than go in trying to make sense of everything and answer all the questions and wait for things to get all tidied up. Um, This is a good, even though some of it actually does, uh, this is, I think, a good pick for fans of Doctor Who. And in fact, I only recently found out that the story developed in part as a result of a couple of Doctor Who serials that Douglas Adams wrote, um, which makes sense because it has that tone. And I don't really think that um, Adams was driving toward a tidy wrap-up here, and I wouldn't go in expecting one. It's more about the ride, and this is definitely a fun one. This is definitely another good one for summer. Um, And there are three books in the series. This book, then there's The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul, and then there's The Salmon of Doubt. And The Salmon of Doubt is actually a collection of um, essays and anecdotes and stories, and then the incomplete final book in the series. It was published posthumously. Uh, Douglas Adams never got around uh, to finishing the last book before he passed away. But if you're afraid of going into the first book because the final story is incomplete, this is another one, uh, like Jen's, that totally fits as a standalone. I have not read the second book and I've not read um, The Salmon of Doubt, but I didn't feel like I necessarily needed to when I got to the end. So I am here to assure you that the first book can absolutely be read as a standalone. And again, that was Dirk uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency by Douglas Adams. I'm looking at my copy of Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul from across the room right Longingly. now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I have trouble deciding because both of them are my favorite for different reasons. Um, but yeah, and I will tell you that Long Dark Tea Time doesn't even, like literally none of the characters repeat except for Dirk Gently. So oh. it's, it's, they're, they're completely separate. They might as well, you know, you never see the the side characters ever again. So, oh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's but I do love Long Dark Tea Time. I don't, I don't, I have like feelings about posthumous and Owen Colfer like edited it and maybe added some stuff and like that's not. I'm not, I'm not here for that personally. So I never did read Salmon of Doubt, but that's fine. Um, 
Okay, so last category suggestion. I noticed that you did not have alternate history on there, and I thought that might be an interesting addition for you. Um, and the book that I am recommending is Servant of the Underworld by Aliette de Bedard, which is the another one first in a series. Sorry, not sorry. I don't know. <laughs> um, these I have read. Have I read two of the three. I believe I have read more than one, but it's been a while. So, oh, there's, there's a lot. I take it back. There's a bunch. Oh, wow. Um, but that's fine. I think you're fine. Uh, and they take place in, in the, uh, in Tenochtitlan, the capital of the Aztecs, like way back, like pre-Columbus discovering or well, discovering pre-Columbus encountering America. Um, these all follow uh, Aztec characters. And they are also a little bit murder mysteries. Um, there is a high priest named Akadal who has to find out what happened to a priestess who has disappeared from an empty room that is completely drenched in blood. So, like, it's a little bit of a locked room mystery, except it's, you know, Aztecs and there's um, the magic of the, uh, like, living versus the dead. And, you know, Akadal has to navigate both of the political intrigue, but then there's also, you know, supernatural dangers that have to be held at bay. Um, it's incredibly detailed. It is not an own voices book. Um, Aliette de Bedard is French Vietnamese, um, but I think it's pretty clear she did her, a lot of research around it. And she like painstakingly describes, I mean, it, it's not, um, I didn't find it hard to read. I found it very compelling, actually, just to, like, you feel like you're there. You're seeing all of these things. And it's not a world that we get much fiction about, honestly, or nonfiction, for that matter. Um, so it was a real pleasure to me to see something I'd never seen before. And you do definitely get sucked into the stakes of the mystery. It's like, oh gosh, like who, who do you trust? Who do you not trust? What do these, what do these people want? Like, what is their motivation for doing these things? I was very like, like it feels a little bit like Game of Thronesy in that sense. You're like, oh, who wants the throne and who's genuinely trying to do good and you know who's gonna backstab who? Like it was very intense in that regard. Um, court drama is is a thing I do love. And I always get sucked in by it. And then the addition of this murder mystery, I thought, made it really, really interesting. And you definitely get invested. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was really compelling. It was really engrossing. And, it's you know, there's a lot of alternate history about, like, you know, World War II plus witches or, like, the Napoleonic War but dragons, which is interesting. But there's a lot of it. There's a lot of European alternate history. So I was really pleased to see something that is completely different from what most of alternate history is and does. Um, so, again, that is Servant of the Underworld, which is the first book in the Obsidian and Blood series by Aliette de Bedard. She's so interesting, too. She writes so many different kinds of things. Her She's brain. super I interesting. I yeah. remember her from our our conversation on when I was guesting on Get Booked Once. And yes. She's yes. so fascinating. And I actually took a college class specifically on the Aztec codices, Did which you? was super random. I was not good at it, though. It was very oh. hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I always see this book and I, I feel like I should pick it up one day and just see if it dredges up any 
any memories of anything I learned in that class. Yes, I would be so curious. Yeah, one day I, I actually will because she she sounds like an excellent writer. Mm-hmm, she's um, great. And that's it. I hope that that was helpful to you out there, Karen. Um, and I'd, we'd love to hear if your July sci-fi worked out and what you ended up choosing. But for now, that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, you can email us, as always, at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please, if you do have a chance, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. Uh, We couldn't be more appreciative of it when you do. And you can always find us online as well. I'm on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. How about you, Jen? I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two N's. And until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.